We are in the final weeks of our series talking about kingdom community and what it means to be a community that is shaped by the reality that Jesus is king. What would it look like in all of our life if we really believed and really lived as if Jesus was king because he is? And one of the components of that, one of the parts of that that is so important and so vital is, is what we're going to talk about today, which is really this. I want to kind of just set it up with this. That is, as Christians, and even if you're not a Christian, you might feel this in some way, but as Christians, we want to be and feel spiritually alive, right? We don't want to feel cold. We don't want to feel kind of empty. We don't want to feel dry. We want to have love. We want to have passion for God and for uh, his people and for his mission. We, we want that, right? You want to feel, and maybe you've had this, that maybe you feel this way now. Maybe you've had it at different points in your life where you have experienced feeling spiritually full, spiritually alive, and we desire that. We desire that kind of emotional experience, but also just the life that that brings, the life that that uh, results in with change and depth and excitement where we love the things of God. We love what he's calling us to. We love learning. We, love, we, we want to feel spiritually alive. And we might not say this, but a lot of times we don't. A lot of times we feel dry. A lot of times we feel just kind of cold and maybe apathetic or just disinterested. We might just kind of feel bored spiritually or even experience seasons of doubt and uncertainty. And we oftentimes feel that and we might say, yeah, I agree with all the stuff. Whatever stuff you want to open up in the Bible, yep, I agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that. But life is just kind of on autopilot. We don't necessarily experience this desire and passion and awake. It's just kind of, yeah, we're just cruising through life. That's oftentimes what our experience is. So how can we, how can we experience a spiritual fullness? How can we experience a spiritual aliveness? How do we worship God and relate to God in such a way that we actually feel and experience, I'm spiritually full. How, how do we live like that, worship like that? Maybe for some of you, you're just kind of starting out Christianity, and maybe even what's drawing you to explore is that it's not necessarily, you wouldn't say faith is dry, but life just kind of feels like that. And so if there's something within God, if there's something within faith that can offer a sense of spiritual fullness, that might be what is drawing you towards that to begin with. And maybe for some of us, it's just that life, for whatever reason, it's busy or life is hard or you had kids or you got married or that. I mean, just kind of all the different things compound and it's just very much so on the back burner, your spiritual life. And so when you pause for a minute and think about it, you go, yeah, I don't actually, that, that doesn't bring much energy. That doesn't bring much life. And sometimes the longer that you are a Christian, or the longer that you've been in church, or the longer that you've been exposed to faith, the more so that it is something that is no longer filling you. Because maybe when you first start out, you're really excited and you're really interested, but a year goes by. I talked to someone uh, last year who told me that she had been a member of her church for 85 years. And so when you've lived that long and have been a member of a church for that long, you might kind of start to feel like, okay, 
I'm just bored. Now, she didn't say that. I'm, I'm just saying. But we might begin to feel that way. It's more dangerous the longer that you've been a Christian, the longer that you've been a leader or been exposed to faith. This is a common problem. We're going to look at Jesus arriving into Jerusalem. And we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke for a long time, and we've taken some breaks, and we've kind of come back and different things, but we've been looking at the the book of Luke talks about really Jesus' journey as the Messiah, as the Savior, and it's leading him to Jerusalem. And this is really his final week of life, even though it'll take us several more months uh, to cover it. But this is Jesus' final week of life, and he's gotten to Jerusalem. And when the Messiah finally gets to Jerusalem, probably what the people would expect is now he's going to set up his government. He's going to overtake Rome because that's the problem. And yet when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, when he reaches the final destination, the problem that he deals with really has to do with this. Because it's such a core problem that affects every other thing in our life. It's such a core problem that if we are spiritually empty, if we are not spiritually full, it's such a core problem that when the Messiah arrives in Jerusalem and says, I need to deal with some stuff, this is what he goes after. So this is what we are going to explore today because we can never have the kingdom community that Jesus wants for us if we don't address the spiritual core of everything. How do we experience spiritual fullness. Let's, let's see what we can learn from this. So we'll look at this, this story and then look at where it comes from and what gets in the way. Luke 19, 45. He went, that's Jesus, he went into the temple in Jerusalem and began to throw out those who were selling. And he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him, but they could not find a way to do it. We're, we're going to come back to this in just a second, but I just if you've ever heard this story of Jesus going into the temple and kind of throwing over tables, and Luke doesn't mention that part, and creating a whip and throwing people, if you've ever heard that story, it can kind of just be like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's a Bible story. Maybe I learned about that when I was a kid, or if this is new to you, you might be like, huh? But it really, we should go, wait a minute, this is crazy. Right, like if you came, and this is not a temple, but it's the closest thing that we kind of have. If you came in here today and just threw over the coffee tables, new coffee, no! Threw over our guest table, gift bags thrown everywhere, started throwing the chairs over. We wouldn't just go, yeah, it's just a normal Sunday. This is a crazy church. Jesus comes in and does this. Like it's a wild moment. This shouldn't, it's easy for us if you've heard the story to just pass over it, but it's, It's crazy, right? He comes in and starts being, and especially Luke doesn't mention it, but with a whip. Like, it's it's crazy. I would call the cops if one of you decided to do that. I wouldn't go, they're applying the Bible. I'm very happy for them. I would go, okay, police, we have someone with a whip. I don't even know where you buy a whip. How did they, I don't know. Probably a story you shouldn't go to. Every, (laughs) um, sorry, okay. But they could not find a way to do it. Okay? So now, so they want to kill Jesus, right? Because it is that crazy. They want to kill him. But they couldn't because all the people were captivated by what they heard. One day, as he was teaching, the people in the temple 
and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders, so they all kind of come together, all the religious leaders, they came and said to him, so they're trying to trap him, and they say, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it who gave you this authority to come in, to clear house, to, to start whipping, to start, who gave you, which is a natural question, right? Who gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John, that is Jesus' cousin, also known as John the Baptist, who was baptizing people and preaching, leading up to Jesus, was the baptism of John from heaven or of human origin? Was John someone from God or just another schmuck on the street? They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? Because the Pharisees rejected John because he was calling them to repent also. But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, they did not know its origin. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So we get this crazy scene. Jesus finally, the Messiah finally arrives into Jerusalem. He starts clearing out the temple, here is what we can begin to learn. What is the source of spiritual fullness? If you want that experience of being alive and being passionate and loving God and feeling not dry or cold, what's the source of that? Now for them, the center of life really and I was going to say the center of religious life, but they didn't really have this kind of bifurcation between religious life and normal life like we do. It was really all the same. And the center of life for them was the temple. This is not an actual picture. This is a rendering. But the temple, you can see, is up here. And this is really the city. And so you can even see of where it is set that it was up high. And people would talk about, even in the Psalms, of ascending to the house of the Lord. Because it really was up, which represented in some ways just its, its overarching banner and authority over all of life. That was the center. It was the key of their life. It was huge. It was massive. This is the city down here. This was the center of their life. Now, we don't have a temple, but we can see... We can see the source of spiritual fullness from what the purpose of the temple was, which was this, to know God. The purpose of the temple was to know God. It was the place on earth where God's presence was manifest, where God said, yes, I fill the whole world with my glory, but here is the place that you can really come and know me. Here is the place that I will interact, that I will relate, that I will engage with my people. What a beautiful thing. God is saying, I have a place that you can come and know me, that you can come and hear my voice, that you can come and whatever you are going through in life, you can listen to me. You can know who I am. How whatever the things you face are, you can see there's a God that loves me, that cares for me, that's present with me, that wants to meet with me. The source of spiritual fullness for them was the temple because it is where people went to know God. 
This is the same for us. Even though not in a temple, the source of spiritual fullness is to know God. Whatever need we have, whatever we are going through, people there could see him. This is just from some of the Psalms that people talk about this experience of the temple in Psalm 27. I have asked one thing from the Lord. We think about, man, if you could ask God one thing, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's the temple. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. You can hear just that angst and that passion to say, there's one thing I want from God. It's to be in his temple, knowing who he is, seeing his beauty. Because if you know God, whatever you are going through, to know him changes that experience. And look at this in the Psalms as well. God, within your temple, we contemplate your faithful love. That talks about, again, that experience of knowing God and knowing his love. What did they do in the temple? They thought about and contemplated his love for them. So again, whatever you are going through to remember, I've got a place I can go to where God reminds me of his love. I've got suffering in my life and God says, come to my temple and I'll remind you how I love you. I've got sin in my life. Come to the temple and be reminded, I love you. That's, that's what the sacrificial system was. They would do the sacrifices in the temple. And that's such a bizarre thing for us because we don't, uh, we don't do sacrifices. Although we brought back coffee, maybe we'll bring back sacrifices. And um, that might take a little more work. But, it, I, you know, I'm singing about sacrifices and it's such a bizarre thing, but also such an amazing thing to think about You viscerally smell and see and feel the sin, the evil of it, and what it requires, death of a life. And to know, I don't have to pay that. God instead is substituting this animal for me. And to see it happen. Some of us feel guilt. Some of us feel shame. Some of us wonder if we're acceptable to God, if God loves us, if he can forgive us. And those sacrifices helped that in such a a sensual, and I just mean using all of our senses kind of way, to say it's dealt with. The death has been paid. You see the blood running and go, my sin is awful. And God has forgiven me. So the temple was the place of spiritual fullness because the source of spiritual fullness for them and for us is to know God, to know his love, to know his character, to know his forgiveness, to know his grace, to know all of these things. And God's heart, God's heart was to give that to people freely, to say, come and experience this. Come and know this. He wanted people to experience that and for people all over to experience that, which is why Jesus says this. He says that my house will be a house of prayer, which is to say a house where we are thinking about this and contemplating this and talking to God about this, all the stuff that I just said. And Jesus is quoting that. That's why he says it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. He is quoting from Isaiah where Isaiah says this, I will bring them to my holy mountain And let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. So here's what Jesus is quoting from. And what he's saying is, I want my house to be a house where people can know me and experience me, but not only them. I want to gather people from all over to experience this. This shows us God's heart. The, the source of spiritual fullness is to know God. And we see how good God is and that he is saying, I want to bring more and more people to come and know me, to know my love to know my forgiveness, to know my grace, to know my faithfulness. I want to gather people to myself. People don't have to work for this. They don't have to earn this. I want to bring people to me, to know me, because God wants us to experience this spiritual fullness. So if you want to experience spiritual fullness, this is the source. And we can look in a lot of different places. We can try a lot of different things. And feel a lack in wonder. Why, you know, in, maybe just, let me just speak to some of you that aren't Christians or aren't sure about your faith. Sometimes even. And I get it. Denver's an amazing place, a beautiful place. Sometimes the way we try to fill that gap is going into the mountains. Saying, I feel spiritually alive in the mountains. And, and it's wonderful. Or you go on a hike. Or you go camping. You go to these places and experience this natural beauty. And there's a reason for that. It's because God does reveal himself in what he's created. But not in the same way. Not in the same way. And so if you want to experience spiritual fullness, he says, here's where it is. It's to know me, to contemplate all that I am and all that I have done and nothing else will satisfy. But there's obstacles to that. What are the obstacles to experiencing this? And, and you have felt different obstacles, even if you're not sure why, but you have felt obstacles to experiencing or maintaining a spiritual fullness. This was the purpose of the temple. It's, it's really the purpose of church and the purpose of reading our Bible and all the different spiritual practices that we do. But oftentimes we don't feel. Why? What are the obstacles? People, let me tell you about the temple, and especially during a, a, a Passover uh, festival, feast week, which was their big kind of national holiday. People would come from all over the place, upwards of 300,000 people. People aren't totally sure, obviously, they don't have all the exact, but that's, that's, people are saying it's somewhere around that on a big festival day. So thousands, hundreds of thousands filling the city. There's actually been... Um, some research recently that said, this is just from NBC, said animal sacrifice at the temple powered ancient Jerusalem's economy. This is a bunch of bones that they found. Maybe a little gruesome. But what, but what they are saying is it, it really Jerusalem's whole economy thrived on the sacrificial system because you're talking about tens and hundreds of thousands of people. So imagine all of that, the source of the economy, Tons and tons and tons of people. And they're selling in the temple. They're selling in the temple because that was convenient. Because you've got all these travelers coming from all over the place. And instead of bringing all of their animals, uh, you know how hard it is just to go on a road trip sometimes with, with kids or other people. And you're like, oh my gosh, imagine a road trip with kids and goats and chickens and whatever else you're carrying all the way, long travel. 
and you have to get all the way with that into the temple, they said, we're going to sell stuff here. And the temple used a specific kind of money, so they would change the money there. So all this is what's going on there. Tens of thousands of people. All of this commerce and things happening. And what was the problem with that? What was the issue? Here's why. Jesus throws people out that we're selling because, he says, my house will be a house of prayer. Now, here's, here is the issue. Here's the problem. It was distracting. It's distracting. This is the temple, again, kind of close up. This is the area that people would have been selling in. And don't. And this might be kind of deceiving where it looks like maybe that's the temple and this is just the outside. This is actually called the court of the Gentiles specifically where they would be worshiping and praying. But imagine that filled up with thousands of people changing money, selling goats, selling animals, where this is where they're supposed to be praying and worshiping and contemplating God's love and all of that stuff that we just talked about. So Jesus says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer right here. But instead, it's like a really busy Walmart. We went to Walmart in Florida recently, which Walmart's bad, but Walmart in Florida, I mean, you can just imagine, right? It, it was, this is not a picture from actually there, but, but imagine trying in, the, I mean, this is very similar to what it would have been like. Imagine just trying to sit down in the middle of that and read your Bible. I th- I'm going to find a good place for my, my devotional time with God. This seems like a good spot. And Jesus says, no, no, no. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. But that was made impossible. That was made impossible. Imagine that you are specifically even a Gentile that has come to worship God and you've come miles and miles and miles. And you've arrived and you want to know God's love and you're going through something hard in your life and you want to experience his forgiveness again and his faithfulness again and his care again. And this is what you show up to. Jesus says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. I want people to know my love. I want to give to people. I want to speak to people. I want to interact with people. And yet... One of the key obstacles to experiencing spiritual fullness is distraction. Now, that's not just then. Isn't that true for us? Isn't one of the key things that can keep you from knowing God's love and knowing his care and knowing who he is and remembering his forgiveness, isn't one of the key things for for all of us distraction? I mean, I'm not calling anybody out right now. I'm I'm not looking, but if... So, so many times we can be on our phone doing things, right? So many times you can maybe sit down and try to read the Bible, but there's all sorts of things going on around you. Maybe even when you're here at church, right? Because that was basically like church. They show up and they're saying the prayers and they're singing the songs, but, but their mind's not there. I'm, haven't you felt that? I know I have. You show up and there's words up on the screen and We're kind of maybe not even singing them, saying them, just kind of looking at them. Next slide, next slide, typo. Okay, next slide. and, And just distracted. Jesus says he wants us to experience spiritual fullness, but we can so easily miss it. Our lives can be so busy. We can be so busy doing so many things that even when you come into a space, 
like this where it's carved out to experience, your mind's not present. You know, we talk about this in relationships where we say, hey, you're here, but you're not present. I don't know if you've ever said that to somebody or somebody has said that to you or you've just kind of seen that. But that's a big idea, right? That if you're with your friends or you're with your spouse or you're with your kids, we want to be present, not just kind of with them and like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yep. So you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, then I guess I'll buy it. What? Like, oh, no. We want to be present. And Jesus is saying our lives can be so easily full of distractions that we're not present to experience his voice. We can be too busy. We can be on our phones. Listen, for those of you especially online, and I know, again, there's reasons to be online, but when our whole church was online only for a few months, and we all, if you, if you have ever attended online, it's even more so easy to be distracted online, in your house, tons of things going on. It's so easy to be distracted. That's, there's many reasons to be here in person, but that's one of them is it's so easy to be distracted, so easy to have so many other things filling our mind. So that's one of the key obstacles that Jesus points out here. But here's a second one too. People came, right? People came. People might have spent a lot of money. They might have traveled a long way for those that were out of town for a festival, for those that lived there and were just regularly coming all the time. People came. They were faithful. They showed up at the temple they said the prayers. They did the sacrifices. They, they were faithful and did all the things that they were supposed to do. And Jesus shows up and starts rebuking everybody. He starts getting angry with everybody. Because he says there's something that they are missing. What's the problem? He calls it a den of robbers. Now, I remember when I was a little kid at church and... Um, the church, the little, I can't remember exactly what it was, but one of the church clubs that we were in, they were doing a fundraiser and we were supposed to sell chocolate bars. And so the church asked us to sell these chocolate bars for this fundraiser. So then after church, I think my brother and I, we were outside with our chocolate bars and we were selling them. And one of the older gentlemen came up to us and said, you cannot be selling these here. Don't you know? And Jesus said not to make the house of prayer into a den of robbers. And I'm like seven and like, a den of robbers? You asked me to sell this chocolate, you know? They we're doing this for the church. He flipped over my chocolate and, no, not really. He whipped me. <laughs> is that what Jesus is talking about? Is Jesus talking about not selling chocolate bars or was the problem that they were selling things and we shouldn't sell things, everything should be free? Is that the problem? So if you hear that language, den of robbers, and I know that a lot of times growing up for many, many years, it's probably in part because of my PTSD from my chocolate bar days, that I thought that's what Jesus is talking about. He's mad that they're selling stuff. And selling stuff is bad. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, they had to get the money from somewhere. They weren't going to, I mean, the farmers and the people selling the goats and all the stuff, they're, they're not going to just give that away. That's their livelihood. So is that what was wrong? But Jesus is quoting from another passage. He's actually quoting from a famous sermon by Jeremiah, who was in the same place Jesus was, at the temple gates, prophesying, speaking, rebuking, and saying that something was wrong in the temple. That's what Jesus quotes from here. Here's what 
Jeremiah said. Well, this is Jesus. He made it a den of thieves. Here's what Jeremiah said. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who enter through these gates to worship the Lord. So same exact thing. All you people that are coming into God's house to worship, here's what you need to hear. This is what the Lord of armies, and when God prefaces himself as the Lord of armies, it's like God has a lot of titles. If he's like the Lord, the compassionate one, it's probably going to be a good message. But when he's like the Lord of armies, you're like, dang it, that's not the one I wanted to hear from today. The God of Israel says, correct your ways and your actions, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly towards one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place, or follow other gods, bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do you steal, murder, Commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known? Then do you come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we are rescued so we can continue doing all these detestable acts? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. This is the Lord's declaration. It has nothing to do with chocolate. If you're watching, old man, I want you to know that. It has nothing to do with selling. It has nothing to do with that. You see what it has to do with? It has to do with hypocrisy. It has to do with coming into God's temple, into God's place where we are to know him, to experience his forgiveness, to experience his love. And the people kept coming. They kept regularly coming and saying in their own minds, it's the temple. It's the temple. We've been saved. This is great. And yet, their lives were completely disobedient. They still disobeyed God in all the ways that he called them to. They were sexually immoral. They were dishonest. They pursued and loved other gods. And we might not worship other statues, but anything that we put in our life more important than God that actually takes our time and our money and our love and our energy they were doing all of these things. They were unjust. They were not loving. They were not caring about the people on the margins of society that God cares about. All of these things, but they would come and they would say, this is great. The temple, the temple, the temple. The Lord has saved us. And Jeremiah says, you think that you're in a house of worship, but this is a den or a hideout for robbers. You're really just... You think that you're in a righteous place, but you've made it unrighteous by your presence. That's a strong word that Jesus brings. But any time that we engage in practices of worship, whether that's here in particular, or reading our Bible, or all sorts of things, when we engage in those things, but our lives are no different, why do we do that? It might feel good to come here. It's kind of a box to check. It feels good to say, yep, I go to church. I regularly come to church. Yep, 
I listen to the sermons. Maybe I even serve. Maybe I even give. I, I come. I'm faithful. But our li- it's, it's one hour. Or if I preach long, maybe an hour and a half. It's, 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 just a, it's just a short little time. And if the rest of our life is something like what Jeremiah described, who cares? We can't check the box here and imagine that we're faithful. We can't come here and imagine that just because we sat in a seat for an hour and a half that we are good. Jesus says it's so easy to check the box and think that life is good. And yet all the different things that we're hearing of who God is. And I mean, they would have sat there and listened to sermons and prayed prayers that all taught. Here's God's will for your life. We should worship only one God. Yes, one God, one God. And then they go and they worship Baal. We should be faithful to our spouses. Yes, yes, yes. And they commit adultery. We should be honest. And then they're dishonest with the people as they're, oh, it's not that big of a deal. They show up back on Sunday. Man, we do that same thing. And might check the box and say, we're fine. I'm a regular churchgoer. That is a huge obstacle to experiencing the fullness that Jesus desires for us. When you put these things together, the obstacles to experiencing spiritual fullness is really kind of an external behavior. It's externalism where we are doing actions but missing him. Missing the intent of those actions. We are saying the words of a song, but it's not changing our heart. We're here on a Sunday, but we're not actually then our lives being transformed and changed. We're doing external behaviors. We're reading the Bible. We're going to community group. We're going to our life transformation. Whatever it is, we're doing activity, but we're missing God. Because we're distracted, because we're hypocritical. It's just an external reality. And oftentimes, it leaves us worse than before because we're numbing ourselves and we actually are self-deceiving because we think, I did read my Bible, I did pray, I did sing a song, I did show up to church. And so we are numbed and yet then missing the spiritual fullness that God desires for us. It's not just shame on you, you're being bad. It's you're missing what God wants for you, which is to be spiritually full. Listen, think about the time that you got the most angry. My wife and I were riding our scooter this week, and um, some lady behind me, I think I was going a little too slow for her, she just, she was like tailing me on a scooter. It was like, you're going to kill me. And she's honking at me, get the F out the road, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa. You are mad, lady. And then I thought of all sorts of great comebacks later, and she was already gone. And I, there's no way I could chase her down, you know. <laughs> I remember probably one of the maddest I ever got. My wife and I were flying out. My grandpa was dying. We were going to go visit him. And we were running late to the airport. And the lady, the Southwest lady at the counter, she calls out, okay, last call for flight, blah, blah, blah. And we like we're steps away. We see her saying, last call. And then get there and she goes, sorry, you're too late. And I was like, I saw you say last call. She's like, I already gave away the, the standby tickets. But I was watching you say last call. Here I am. This is the call. 
and we start getting into it. And I probably said some things and that the, the you know, Facebook would have to bleep out. And I was so upset. She was like, calm down. You need to, she called her manager. I was like, so mad. And I was mad because of the injustice of it. But I was also mad because like my, my grandpa was going to pick us up from the airport and my grandma and they, it's so confusing for them. And they haven't, like, they haven't done that in years, gone to the airport and picks like, so I'm thinking about them and all the trouble that's going to put them through. And how are we going to communicate back with them and all this stuff. And so I, I was so upset. Now, probably some mix of righteous anger, unrighteous anger. The most upset that we see Jesus get ever was this. Think about it. The most ferocious anger comes from this. Because he is saying, I so want you to know me. I so want you to know my love. I so want you to know who I am. I so want you to experience all that I have for you that if you miss it, if you miss it, and go through life thinking everything is fine. Jesus is so mad. Not because he's just like, you're being a bad person, but because of what he desires for us. But because of what he wants for us. He wants us to be able to contemplate his love and know his forgiveness and be spiritually full. The God of the universe wants to be present with us and interact with us and have our lives shaped and changed by him. And so this anger and passion comes out of him. Not because you really shouldn't be selling chocolate, but because he says, I want you to experience ultimate spiritual reality coming into your life. And I don't want you to miss it. There are obstacles to us experiencing what he wants to do. And the greatest anger and passion he has is not really directed towards you, for you because of the desire of what he wants for us. That shows us how good he is that he doesn't want us to miss his good news and what he has. So final thing is this. How do we then experience spiritual fullness? The purpose of it is to know God or the source of it, excuse me. The source of it is to know God. Obstacles are distraction and hypocrisy and just kind of externally going through the motions. How do we experience it? Sometimes, I don't know how you feel right now, but sometimes we think that therefore the thing is the problem. Oh yeah, so see, that's why you shouldn't come to church or you shouldn't read your Bible. Those are legalistic and I just connect with God in my own way and that's why, you know, all, all of these, but no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't come and, 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 and say, don't do those things. He said, there's a purpose for those things that you're missing out on. It's to purify those things. God made those things. The, the problem is not the things themselves, but how we engage in those things. So how do we experience spiritual fullness? We have no temple, right? So the answer isn't, yeah, so we go to the temple. We don't have a temple. We don't have a sacrificial system. Jesus is the temple. Jesus said after the temple was destroyed and when Jesus came, he taught and said, I'm the temple. Which, remember, the purpose of the temple, it's to know God, to know who he is. Jesus said, you get that by coming to me. 
And we don't have a sacrificial system anymore because Jesus is the sacrifice. And he says, you get that by coming to me. We don't have a temple anymore. We have Jesus. And even further than that, Jesus says that he gives us the Holy Spirit, that God himself dwells inside of us. So God is present inside of us and we become a temple. And together we are God's temple because the Holy Spirit lives in God's people. So we don't have a temple anymore. We come to Jesus where we see all that God is. You want to know God? You used to have to come to the temple and be present there. Now he says, come to me, come to Jesus. See all that I am, see all that I've done. But how do we come to Jesus? Well, part of how we do that is by coming to his word and getting to know him. Part of how we do that is by coming to church on a Sunday. Not because God is uniquely present here as in the temple, but because this is where we get to know Jesus, who is now the temple. And it's where we come together as God's people and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Which is why C.S. Lewis said something, I don't have the exact quote, but he said that one of the holiest things you ever encounter is another person. Because they are God's temple. The Holy Spirit lives in them. That's part of, again, why it's so important to come together. And so though this is not a temple, it is the place that we come to Jesus. When we come to community group, we come to Jesus. When we read the Bible, we come to see who Jesus is. And Jesus is where we get to know God. So that's the first thing of how we experience spiritual fullness is we come to Jesus through the means that he has provided since he's not physically here. But second, really countering what what Jesus said the problem was, is that we must come instead of in distraction with focus. You see that as Jesus then began to teach in the temple, he clears it all out. And then it says every day he was teaching in the temple. And it says all the people were captivated, or literally that word means that they were hanging on his words by what they heard. That's a very opposite posture of what would have been there before. Before they're distracted, before they're not able to pray, before it's chaos, now they're able to be captivated by what they're hearing. That's the posture of how we begin to experience the fullness that Jesus has for us. Listen, there is things about God for you and I that we are missing in our life. Or things about God that we need in our life. That if you're suffering, you need his comfort. That if you're walking astray, that you need his leadership. That if you're filled with guilt and shame, you need his forgiveness and his righteousness. That if you're just kind of down, you need to remember his love and his, his value of you. That if you're anxious and afraid, you need to remember he's in control and he's got this and nothing surprises him. There's things about God that you and I need today and every day. And every Sunday, and every time we read the Bible, and every time we gather in groups, there's things that we need. And God wants to give them to you. But the way that we must get them is by focus, and listening, and receiving, pausing, slowing down, and saying, okay, God, I want to focus on you today. Let me ask, are you... Are you coming like that when you come to church? Are you coming like that when you read your Bible? Are you coming like that when you show up to community group? I know how easy it is to not be in that place. It's part of why even at the beginning I try to pause and give us some space, but are you coming like that? 
And if not, what can you do? What can you change to structure those times here or Bible or community group? What can you do to structure those times differently so that you're showing up in a way where you're ready? That might mean starting on Saturday night. That might, I get in bed at 8 o'clock on Saturdays. Not because I'm old, although I'm getting older every second. But because I want to be fully ready for this time. I'm not saying everybody go to bed at 8 o'clock on Saturday. But I'm just saying, what can you do? What can you do to begin to prepare? To begin to not be rushed. And, and especially for you parents, it's harder, right? But what can you do to show up ready what can you do when we sing to not just kind of say the words or stand there, but to go, okay, God, these words are powerful truth. I want to, I want to engage with them in my heart and my mind. I'm not a note taker, but maybe for some of you, it's during the sermon to take notes. I like to not take notes because I like to be fully engaged. But for some people, it's to take notes, helps them be engaged. Maybe that's what you need to do. I, I don't know all the things, but I know this. One of the only ways that you will experience spiritual fullness is by being in the posture that they were with Jesus of captivated by his word. Whether that's the Bible, whether that's on a Sunday, whether that's community group, how can you come like that? You will miss out if not. And final thing of how we experience the spiritual fullness is that we obey. Now, that might sound very simple, but that was really a lot of why they even asked this question. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it that gave you this authority? Because they saw this authority that he shows up with. They see the authority in cleansing the temple. They see all the people hanging on his words. They hear him quoting Jeremiah saying, people are not obeying, so then they are questioning his authority. Which really shows us that one of the key issues is all about his authority and his obedience, rather our obedience and his authority in our life. And again, that might sound simple, how you experience spiritual fullness. But you cannot experience all the change that he wants to do in your life if we don't go with him. Whether you're reading your Bible or on a Sunday, what's happening is we are here and Jesus is here saying, Come over here. Here's where life is. Come over here. But if we just show up and say, I came, this was great, then we never actually begin to experience all the change and all the transformation and all the things that he wants to do in our life as he leads us. That's what obedience is. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. So when he says, come over here on a Sunday or when you read your Bible, I want you to forgive that person. I want you to change these practices. I want you to not be sexually immoral. I want you to not be dishonest. I want you not to worship those other things in your life. I want you to be generous. I want you to be humble. I want you to come over here. He's leading us into spiritual fullness, but only when we obey do we get to experience it. And so though it might sound simple and just very churchy to say, one of the only ways that we experience spiritual fullness is as we have a practice of obedience. Listen, I would hate, as a pastor, I would hate for you to come here 
every week and really it just be a den of robbers for you. I would hate for you to think that you are getting everything you can from God even though your life is just the same. And this is just a ch- I would hate that for you, just as Jesus did. So is your practice, you gotta, like, I don't know, your life, is your practice, when you read the Bible, when you come at church, when you're at community group, is your practice to say, okay, I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna obey? Is that your, like, ideally, every Sunday, Something in your life is changing. There's someone to forgive. There's something to give. There's some way to serve. There's someone to talk to. There's someone to encourage. There's something, some habit that should be different. There's, like, we should be continually hearing from God and then obeying. Is that your practice? If not, that is what Jesus wants for you. Because he is the one that knows life. He's the king that wants to lead us into all his goodness. We all want to experience spiritual fullness. We all want to be spiritually alive, not to be empty, right? We don't want to just be cold and dry and bored and disinterested. We want to experience this. And that comes as it's not just external things, but as we experience who God is through focus, through obedience, through coming to Jesus, coming to him for everything he has for us. And when that happens, we are changed. We have joy and we have fullness. We're going to take communion in just a second. If you didn't grab little cups on the way in, you can grab them at the table in the back. And when we take communion, we are remembering Jesus coming to this earth, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us to forgive us of all of our sin and to bring us spiritual fullness, to say, I want you to know me. You don't have to come to a temple. You come to me. You don't have to sacrifice an animal. I've sacrificed myself for you to bring you into my presence. What if that was more real to us? What if we were more rooted in that reality and then as Jesus desires, as temples ourselves, we were able to bring that to others? That is what God wants for us. That is our desire. So take some time and take communion and allow these truths and don't just, don't just go through the ritual of it. Ask God to remind you and show you who he is and to remember even the tangible cracking and sipping. This is what he did for me. There's a reason he gave us something edible instead of just look at these words. Because he wants us to viscerally experience, I did this for you. And as we sing songs, let the words hit your heart. Raise your hands. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm just saying be engaged and allow God to speak to you and speak to him. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have given yourself to us. And you want us to know you. You want us to remember your, your love. You want us to contemplate your love. Thank you, God, that you are so passionate, Jesus, that we see such fury and anger because of how much you desire for us to experience this. 
God, let us even now, today, experience this. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.